today it, joining me is an old friend of mine from again i'm not trying to scour people from bmcc but he i know him from bmcc of borough Manhattan community college and right now he's in la right now and so yeah uh but he's actually an independent filmmaker living in la right now i've known him for the past few years uh mostly from short work of his especially at bmcc the bmcc film festival again i wasn't a a, a film uh a, well film media major yeah. or they had video arts technology yeah yeah so i was mostly the theater like a theater kid but i had you know like uh film related classes there so but it was always fun to watch like what type of films uh the people came up came up with for like within that semester right before the the big payoff of the uh, film festival at the end of the thing but i'm not talking about the film festival or you know stuff at bmcc but dylan first of all how are you today i'm great thank you for having me it's I been know. a while i know it has been a while last time i saw him was probably i want to say maybe 2018 2000 2019 possibly because yeah. that was my last semester at Brooklyn College. Oh yeah, you were also a a major at Brooklyn College too. Uh -huh. Oh my god, this this thing is actually connecting all all the stuff. I'm not we. It you all know, comes full circle. You know, it's odd because the BMCC slogan the slogan is like "Start here, go anywhere" or something yeah. like that. And I and uh, oddly enough, a lot of my guests happen to be either former alumni of brooklyn college or alumni of bmcc and it all really does come together but yeah. uh, dylan how did you get into filmmaking well i mean ever since i was like a kid i always loved movies that was always like my favorite pastime and whatnot but like i never wanted to do that as a career like i knew it was possible but i never thought like yeah i could do it like when i was a freshman in high school i wanted to be a detective James Bond, I want to be a rock star, I taught myself to play guitar and whatnot, but all my friends would always tell me, you should do something in movies, you know so much about it, I'm like, yeah, 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 don't worry, and then, I don't know, right as I was about to graduate, I always tell people, like, two wires in my brain finally connected and said, yeah, yeah. you should do this, so took a year off to work and then enrolled in BMCC to do uh, film production, which, if you want to talk about the festival, I'll tell you how hectic and always it was so stressful oh, yeah. because we had to do three short films in like three months, yeah. write them, shoot them, edit them, and then pick all of them. So being like part of the festival, like putting it all together, it was always a headache because you had to watch so many movies and you had to let some people down. Yeah. But you also had to be like the top producer on like the club films and just be like okay you guys have to get this thing made on this time so like i had to like i was taking like so many classes i'm like okay now i gotta go pull an all-nighter and fucking long island to do this pardon by the way i don't know if i'm allowed to curse but oh you are okay sweet i curse a lot so yeah <laughs> it was always super stressful doing that but i mean the semester that i was the vice president where we got the films made i felt so proud because the semesters before me they couldn't get the films made, so they had trailers, which was always like a, a shit show. Yeah, I remember there was like some times at the B, uh, BMCC film 
film festival where they would just show a trailer of a, like an upcoming film, yeah, and yeah. and it would always be like two minutes long. I was like, I'm like, eh. so uh, like it's weird because you know, and at the Brooklyn at Brooklyn College, the film festival, especially with the student film festival, it, it, it is kind of hectic because when I was a student there, it was like literally almost like the same thing where it's like they're just kind of like showing as much uh product or stuff content. at the same time yeah contact at the same time and i remember there was a student mixture a few years ago where it was literally just make maybe oh yeah submit all your films and i was, and then of course i submitted like a film of mine that i did uh the previous semester right and mm -hmm. It wasn't that great, you know, honestly, you know, in terms, I mean, it, it was great to work on. It was great to the thing, you know, I mean, it just wasn't great editing wise because right. I had no, and because it was my project. So I had to do everything, you know, editing wise. And as anybody who watches the show regularly, you could tell how much of a great editor I am. <laughs> so, I mean, right. I love working with the crew. I love working with the cast, but if I had someone else editing my work, I'd probably be like, oh, that's a great project of mine. Because oh, I, yeah. It would be yeah, so much but, easier when you're not constantly looking at it. And just like... Yeah. I have one story from the festival. So Darren may, wrote one short, which, Darren, if you're seeing this, this is a shout-out for you. So he wrote a short that was selected as one of the festival, the club's films. And the director wanted me in it so badly. I'm like, no, no, I can't. Eventually his lead dropped out, so they needed me. But they're like, we only need you for one day. My dumb ass, for some reason, believed them because I, I was the lead. So they needed me for like three weeks, which was very annoying and stressful. I'm not an actor. I don't like acting, yet people love putting me in their shit. So <laughs> we did it, and then it didn't play at the festival on time because they didn't edit it. So I was so fucking angry that I stormed the stage took the mic, pulled a Kanye, and I said the name of the movie. I'm like, Application Reset was the best movie that played at the festival. <laughs> it was only a trailer. Everyone was laughing. And then my friend Julian, who was the president at the time, wanted to stab me because he's like, what are you doing, man? And then eventually it did play next semester. I was like, wow, six months too late, man. <laughs> I actually remember there was uh, one... Yeah, there was actually one... Uh, and this actually came up to my Facebook memories a few, like maybe a couple of months, not not a couple of months ago, uh, a couple of weeks ago, how uh, I was at BMCC doing a short film for that day. I forgot what it was called, but I, and I forgot what the, the name of the director was called. But I remember where it was. I remember it vividly where I would be inside the. OK, BMCC has like a uh, entire section dedicated to uh nursing so we were mm -hmm. actually inside the nursing like beds and everything so we're actually using like the uh i wouldn't say like the nursing station but like the the, the mock beds uh, yeah mock the mock beds. beds yeah so all of this was just like all day long was just waiting for everything to go through you know mm. and i'm there from like maybe eight o'clock in the morning nine o'clock in the morning to like maybe four Four, five o'clock because I don't think they only had the room for, for about that long, and yeah, and throughout the entire day, you know, and I could tell this guy who was director wasn't really the best of directors. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was like 
competent, but he wasn't like fully competent in, in my eyes because there was this other cast member or yeah, another cast member who clearly didn't want to act, but yeah. he was kind of like there just struggling along, just just trying not to um what's the term? Uh, pitch, not, not, uh to, torpedo. There we go. Right. Torpedo the production and everything. And I remember, and at the end of the day, I just like we just went home, and I was like, kind of said, I was like, yeah, if that if they were able to scrap something together with all the footage we had, good for them. And then good I just for them. Put, yeah, totally. That's the thing. Like, hey, if you're able to take these nightmare stories and still have an end product and make something, good for you. I mean, but it's, here's the kicker: I actually met the director at the film festival, like a few months, like maybe a month or two later. Oh, he really? And he goes, oh, hey, Brian, uh, so about that film that you worked on, uh, well, I didn't get anything really much to done. Uh, all the things that we had was practically scrapped because of the, the, the lead actor. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, <laughs> so there's like, possibly, <laughs> so there's, there's this footage of me in this weird art house film, and it wasn't like an art house film type of thing because that was right. that was essentially the gist of the director was that he did a very art housey type of uh, uh, cinema. Mm -hmm. So there's probably footage of me in this very art house uh, style film in a hospital bed acting like I'm sick as as a dog, even though I'm like literally just like laying down on the bed just trying not to look at my phone. <laughs> Right, totally. Oh man, my phone is like literally right, right by my side, and just like just act like I'm sick, or just like just just act like I'm sick, or not trying to do anything else. <laughs> and but yeah, that, that that was a, and yeah, I I just imagined like because I would always see a lot of the BMCC film, uh, club productions being like, hey, you know, we're shooting like two two short films and one. And one like maybe like one sort of film over the course of the semester. Who wants in? I was like, yeah, let me audition uh, yeah. all that stuff. Uh, I would imagine being not only like the club president or part of the club uh, executive board. It would be like, okay, do we have enough? Do we have enough uh, finances for this thing? It's like, God, yeah, going going through SGA for the financing was. Uh, Bitch, uh, like, I think his name was, like, Lothian or something. He was, like, the head of, like, all the clubs. I had to yeah. constantly go to him and be like, we want to buy this. And they're like, okay, why? And we had to submit why. And then we had to do, like, show them different versions of the cost. It was, like, it was so hard to get your own money for a club that it was just, like, a part of me felt like, I feel like, because every club, I think, gets, like, 2000 or $4,000 yeah. to spend. And I'm like, I swear to God, I bet you whatever we don't spend, they pocket I could be totally wrong, but I would not be surprised because it, it was such it, a hassle. It was jumping through hoops with those guys. Honestly, we had this. I had the same problem at Brooklyn College because I was actually part of uh, one of the uh, film. I wouldn't say film, but it was it was essentially the was film it like TV. film society or something. No, 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 it wasn't the film society, but it was film adjacent called the Film TV Student Alliance mm -hmm. and NIFSA, the New York Film TV Student Alliance, and. We were essentially running around trying to deal with uh, the students' board to say, hey, we need 
X amount of money for something we're trying to do at the end of the semester. And we basically had a pull from the film society, which was always mm-hmm. good enough to actually help us out. Yeah. So shout out to Richard, who was probably watching this, maybe, I hope. But the, the idea of essentially trying to pull together finances for a thing at the end of the semester, and then suddenly it's like everything else is just like not drawn together because of dealing with the student uh, student alliance because you know they're like oh we control well we practically like they control the amount of like money and flow going into the thing because there are other uh there'll be other clubs or organizations on brooklyn college that would have gotten a lot more money compared to anything else like i remember like i forgot what it was called no it was like one of the book magazines no it was uh, one of the book uh not not news magazines, but it was like one of the English uh, things, mm-hmm. the English clubs. I think they got like the most money, and then there was like the socialist club money. Uh, like is like, and then like I, that's what I heard. Like the socialist yeah. club, apparently, I like was like the one socialist one. club and the fascist club made money too. Yeah, <laughs> it was like that. Like that was like the the most. Uh, I think it was because they have a lot more events. Like the more and right. uh, and. That's what I heard from both the film society and my club was that the more events you put on, the more money you practically get back. So the more, so the more events you had put on, the more money you got, you know, uh, into going to the next, uh, the next uh, semester going forward. Yeah, I mean, also Brooklyn College doesn't really give a fuck about the film uh, department. Oh no, they they, they put us in a fucking. Barn. They put us in a barn. Of course, they don't yeah. care. And a new it, building? No. At, at least, you know. Okay, as a theater kid at Brooklyn College, we had our own little like section at Roosevelt Hall. Mm-hmm. But if you ever went to Roosevelt Hall, it was either it was either two choices: one, very cold, or very hot. There was no in between. In between. Jeez, that sounds to, like New York for you. Just their weather. It's either really hot or really cold. No, but I'm talking about like inside the building. It was like the moment you walked inside the building, it was either very hot. Mm-hmm. And even if you go into the bathroom, even hotter because that's where the uh, the radiators were. Yeah. But then if you go into the other part of the building, it was it was severely cold. So it was like <laughs> miss. But then I remember days where I was walking towards the barn, the the Brooklyn College um, web web building, building. and it would be so cold. And by the time I get there, I'd be like even colder because, you know, there's always those doors that don't close correctly and all that stuff. And then I walk all the way upstairs to the second floor. Mm -hmm. And that was the other thing is like all the all the film classes were on like the second floor. Compared to like the first floor where it was like literally just all the student clubs that were yeah. there. So, which was always fun because, you know, go downstairs, get something to eat from one of the vending machines, see all these clubs having fun, and then go straight back upstairs to, you know, all these drilly classrooms. Yeah, no windows. It's like, Jesus Christ. I, uh, my friend and I, we were walking around USC campus the other day, which is like, for anyone that doesn't know, it's the number one film school in the country. Uh, and he showed me how he did a semester there one summer and how beautiful it is all. Like they have sound stages 
presented by Fox. One of their two of their main buildings is called like the Steven Spielberg building, the George Lucas building. And I'm like, it's no Brooklyn College, no, no barn. And he's dying <laughs> of laughter. I would imagine such a nice campus. Holy shit. Like, I imagine if you go to, like, NYU to study film and stuff like that, they probably have, like, a lot of other things, but it's, like, like, and, but it, it doesn't, like, beat anything else if you go to, a, like, a CUNY school and see what type of stuff they have for their, like, departments. Like, yeah. I remember going as a, I remember being, because I was at a, I was at Hunter College for, like, two semesters, and Hunter mm-hmm. College film department is, like, severely hard. Really? Yeah. Severely hard to like get into the thing because not only do you have to get a C above average grade to go further into the thing, mm-hmm. the the curriculum for the film major is like severely hard because it's like 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 it goes straight into a lot of things that I can't really remember correctly. But if but at least you know with Hunter College uh, being essentially one big building. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Brooklyn College, and then you have a whole barn to yourself. And then, like, it's, it, like it's kind of like it's so different. It, it's like so different because not only is the 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 film department faculty so fun to be around with, depending on you know who what type of class you have, right? Because you know Judith Kennedy, uh, yeah, Judith uh, Kenny is so fun to be around with. Um, oh yeah, she's amazing. I love her. Uh, what, what was it? Uh, but then I would just hear horror stories from other students about their professors and stuff like that too. Because mm-hmm. I, I forgot who it was, but it was a stigma, uh, uh, cinematography class that one of my classmates had to do because it was like essentially a horror show, and it was like, and then I'd be like, but I wouldn't like, uh, and then people, uh, and that was another thing. It was like I had script writing. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, when we weren't like watching films and dissecting them for the, the screenwriting aspect, mm-hmm. a lot of us were just you. Well, same as me because I didn't have my, um, uh, I didn't have a uh, laptop at the time. But a lot of my students, uh, <laughs> a lot of my student friends would be like on their laptops, like literally working on their projects and whatnot. Yeah, and oh totally, like, yeah, and. I think that's the gist of it about working at Brooklyn College is that there would be a lot more people using a laptop compared to anything else. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, I was in a unique situation because I worked in the equipment room. So all the professors always needed favors from me. Like, oh, I need to get this movie. Oh, my equipment's not working. My projector, can you help me? So I kind of had them by the throat where I could be like, when I was in their class, I'm going to dip for 20 minutes to go hang out in the equipment room, make myself coffee. I'll come back whenever. And they kind of couldn't, like, fail me because it's like, you're going to need a favor from me tomorrow. So, like, I totally did not do that program the right way. I mean, I would dip out of class whenever. I'd just be, like, chilling. I passed all my classes with flying colors. But I had a very nonchalant whatever attitude. But, I mean, hey. You know, uh, it didn't hurt me. That'll be another thing I noticed too is like a lot more people would be just dipping out of classrooms and you know and just sitting in front of the I wouldn't say the main hall or whatever it is called like the main hallway where it's just like where all the couches are and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. just be like 
sit down for a few minutes, just like talk to a couple of people, maybe use the bathroom and then go and, and literally just go back to class. Uh, yeah. Like five, Because our professors would give us like 10 minute breaks. Yeah. And I'd be like, okay, that's a 20 minute break. You mean I'll see you in an extra 10. I'm going to go down the street to the deli to get a sandwich and I'll be right back. Yeah. Little side note, by the way, I found the photo of me that someone took when I stole the mic at the BMCC festival. There's Julian freaking out because I'm talking about how application reset didn't play. And then my friend Alex is just laughing his ass off right there. Oh, okay. Fun times. Yeah, I was a, uh, not a nut job, but uh, I was wild when I was younger doing shit like that. Yeah, I would imagine so because, like, BMCC is, like, almost not, like, a... uh, fraternity but it does have like a very high school-esque type oh, of totally yeah some people would i went to well i went to high school cardozo high school right across the street was qcc and people in my school always referred to it as the 13th grade <laughs> so there's that mentality when you go to a community college but i still think it had good opportunities you know it was hella fucking cheap uh, oh. And I was able to transfer half my credits to Brooklyn College and half the rate of paying for Brooklyn College. So I didn't I, mind it. I think my problem was that I got into Brooklyn, not Brooklyn College, uh, BMCC too late because I originally went to Kingsboro. And mm-hmm. after, and then after Kingsboro kind of like screwed me over, not only from a uh, theater standpoint, but from uh, like a... a, a, a not foundation, well, foundation standpoint too. Uh, mm-hmm. But it definitely was like one of those things where it's just like <laughs> I just couldn't really deal with the uh, King's Row anymore. And then, right. I, and then, when when I did go back to college, I should have actually just done uh, the more sensible thing. This came into BMCC as a fresh face person, relearn everything. Mm-hmm. But, nope, I was like, I had at least. 30 credits to my name. I wanted to get my other 30 just to yeah, just to get my associate's degree. Totally not. I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and then suddenly it's just like, eh. But enough about BMCC and Brooklyn College, although we could just talk about that. For we could talk about that for hours, but I don't think people are going to want to hear it because we're not getting paid by the colleges. Also, this would be a really shitty promotion if we're talking about the bad parts of them, too. <laughs> yeah. The good parts are, you know, uh, dealing with actually with teachers who actually will give a crap to about yeah. stuff like that too. So, and if you are watching about that, and you know, if if you are my professors who are still watching that, get you know, thank God for all of you because without you, I would have not, you know, learned a lot. But also, I mean, I would learned a lot, but I just wouldn't uh, care about you know learning about learning or whatever. Uh, but yeah, now I remember you after BMCC or after Brooklyn College or between that little. Uh, year between one of those years you actually got to work on the food network or something to that effect yeah i did i worked on the food network show chopped which i had never seen before but i knew about it because my mom was a huge fan so i was like okay yeah it was it was a i did it for a month in october for just their spinoff chop sweets and then when they were doing the full run in 2020, they were like, do you want to come on full time as like a key PA, the second key PA? I was like, fuck yeah, I do. 
<laughs> so I quit my job at the Alma Draft House and I started working at Chopped in January of 2020. Guess how long that lasted? Not long. Not long. Everything went into the the, the shitter that is yep. 20. Uh, but yeah, uh, from a production standpoint, how was it actually working on the Food Network? Because like, did you like? Of course, you know you're practically dealing with probably food on a daily basis. But mm-hmm. like, would like could you? What was like the food already prepared or like pre prepared or is it just like being brought out onto like a stage like just to make sure it's not like fully like uh what was the term like it's not fully uh, uh what's the term uh I'm, I'm losing my the mind here uh like it's not like fully prepared yeah not yeah fully prepared essentially where it's just not where it's just like <sighs> not necessarily uh where it's just like it, it, it yeah, it was the food essentially prepared to the point where it's just like it's still not frozen. There we go. Right. Well, so each cooking round, because, you know, there's different rounds, they eliminate a chef each round, is basically between 25 minutes to an hour. And they have to make the food in that time. So during that time when they're actually like cooking the food and the cameras are rolling and whatnot. If you're me, you're just chilling. You're either in the, like the the VIP section, which is just basically where chairs are for people to sit, watching the screens, uh, restocking the fridge, or going on runs. And they have to make the food in that time. And once they make the food, they like plate them. They have like different uh, orders of the judges tasting them. When I first started in October, they actually had me uh, be a wire wrangler. So like the camera guys are not on sticks during the cooking rounds. They're like handheld running all over running the back of the set running up to the food or like the ice cream maker getting all of it and you have to be behind them wrangling the wire to make sure they don't pull it or they don't fall or whatnot but while you're doing that you also need to stay low to the ground because you're trying your best not to be seen on camera by the other guys you also have to make sure that you don't hit into those other guys and your camera guy doesn't hit into those other guys. Doing that for an hour is a fucking nightmare, man. Uh, but yeah, so the food they cook right there live on set during the cooking round. Uh, and then in between cooking rounds, the PAs come out and clean the kitchen. We clean the ovens, the the food areas where the, they make the food, everything, wipe down the whole set so it looks brand new. So then when it comes down for the next round, rinse and repeat. Hmm. It does sound like a like a one a nightmare, especially if you have like uh like a, a tendency to be like very thorough, especially if you're like uh if, like that sort of thing is like is everything okay? Okay, uh, let me a little do that, especially yeah. if you're like cleaning up for a living and all and stuff like that yeah. too. Yeah, like uh, the the kitchen crew would come in and just like start taking all the dishes and whatnot like really fast on carts to bring them back to the kitchen to clean them all and you're like okay god i gotta clean this and they're like there's a spill right there you're like okay i'm gonna do this and they're like come on we only have like two minutes left i'm like okay it was not fun i would imagine it was not fun but i imagine it got you a lot more experience in terms of just being on like a full full set i would say oh totally yeah i mean here like a little little tidbit uh the pandemic closed, shutting down the set was honestly the best thing that happened. <laughs> I, I like, wouldn't imagine. Things, things were getting 
were bad, uh, which obviously ever since the whole uh, union going on strike possibly thing happened, it's probably not a shock to a lot of people now. Things are not the best. Yeah. Uh, but oh, now now that you were in L.A., was I, I now did you move to L.A. during the pandemic, like right before the pandemic really during started? During the height of it, August of 2020. Ah, okay. Now, from your experience living in L.A. for like the past year, close to a year and a half, mm-hmm. like, like, what is your like opinion now that you're living in L.A. for the past like year and a half compared to living in New York, where it's like, like New York production, especially if it's like it's New York production. It's like there's a lot more stuff to do. I mean, in terms of like areas to shoot, in in terms of right. But I imagine working in L.A. both as a filmmaker would be like, oh, it'd be like almost like ideal. It's like it's like a very more bigger city. But I imagine there'd be a lot more I wouldn't say paperwork, but more like, do I have enough crew for this? Right. Especially if it's like Uh, a small independent short film. What I would say about the difference between New York and L.A. when it comes to production wise is that. There's a lot more narrative stuff out here, whereas New York, you have a lot more uh, TV, commercials, industrial stuff. But here you have a lot more narrative opportunities, like uh, where I was living, I was living in Northridge the first year, which is up in the valley, a couple blocks down my house. Paul Thomas Anderson was shooting his new movie, Licorice Pizza. Like I went to the set during night. There's a scene where Bradley Cooper's at a gas station. When it comes out, people will see it. Where he's like smashing cars. You see it in the trailer. I yeah. was across the street watching them film that. And I was trying my hardest to get on the movie. Like I waited around as they were wrapping up. I found the key PA. I like g- gave him my email. I told him all the experience I have. He's like, I'll try my best to get you on this. It's going to be hard because everyone's been tested. And because of the whole COVID protocol. He's like, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd probably be able to get you on a lot easier. Yeah. Then I had an accident a month later, so I couldn't even get on, even if I wanted to. So, yeah, there's a lot more, uh, just a lot more work out here compared to New York. Because, you know, New York does have production work, but it's not the, no one thinks of New York as the movie industry city. Whereas L.A. it is. You know, we have all the studios out here. We have them in Burbank. We have Paramount in Los Angeles, so. Yeah, it, it, with New York, New York is definitely more akin to television and, and most importantly, theater. So there's mm-hmm. more theater oh, work yeah. here. There's more theater work on Broadway, off-Broadway, what have you. But it, it's more along the lines of probably commercial TV and then theater, probably mm-hmm. in that order. And then, then there'd be like films being uh, filmed around here whenever, like where I live, there's only been like maybe a few films that filmed around here. There's this, the the classic Steven Seagal Alfred Justice movie. There's mm-hmm. the Amazing Spider-Man two, which filmed around here, and they actually had scenes filmed around here, but they ended up essentially cutting the cutting the uh, the movie out. I mean, cutting the scenes out because they deleted the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was oh, the with, Mary Jane character. Yeah. So you remember that. So yeah. Uh, and they and they recently just filmed John Wick three here too. So I got to see them. Well, I got to see you know. I'm not sure if it was no. It, yeah, it was. Yeah, when Keanu was on the horse. Yeah, 
So it, it was actually pretty fun to watch the the set of John Wick Three getting the thing. Goes, oh my god, I know that place. I know that place. That's my, yeah. You know, that, that's it's like literally just wa- it, it's literally like watching a scene and a movie and then going like, oh man, it's like I literally know that place. It's like like the opening to John Wick Three. Where he's like in the taxi and he has to leave the taxi and you know with his dog, and then mm-hmm. as he's leaving, you just see all these different deers. I'm like, oh my god, I know all those deers. Like, right, that's yeah, Hamilton. that's where Hamilton is. Like, across from here, that's where um probably uh Tina uh, like I, I forgot where what uh, what play would be like like that's probably where Tina is. And then of course mm-hmm. from that, there's uh the Scientology place, but you know it's like it, it's uh. It's uh, it's definitely interesting, especially if you're a New York raised uh, person, especially if you're and if you're trying to work in New York, it's even more interesting because you know I'm trying to work in New York in a um, in the entertainment business or industry, I should say, mm-hmm. and and I imagine and well, I won't imagine it's like it's a legitimately hard thing to do but i imagine if you go to la there'll be a lot more opportunities because of, oh it's la you know it's like there'd be a lot more places to uh try your best mm-hmm. i don't know if like like the show barry does the whole uh off not not off broadway uh the theater scene kind of well yeah but i don't know like what type of theater scene there is 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 in la compared to like new york where is this like new york is like amazing with theater but in right. la is it like is the theater scene just it's like not that huge you know when pe- people think of when they think of theater they think london the west end new york broadway yeah. uh like the yeah we we uh la has a lot more of a like, i think like a comedy scene they have a lot of comedy yeah. venues like i went to largo the other night i saw mark Marin perform uh, then there's also, you know, uh, Comedy Store, uh, what is it, uh, Groundlings. So L.A. is definitely more of like a, a comedy scene. There are some theaters, like in Hollywood, there there's a huge theater, which I don't know how to pronounce the name, so I'm not even going to try. Uh, they're playing Hamilton there. Uh, oh, nice. So there definitely is some, but it's just not as much. Yeah. Uh, I did see, like, like... Uh, and it's not because, you know, there's a couple of people who I know who live out in L.A. right now. And they're kind of mm-hmm. like, like, they're probably did like, I'm to, like, move out of L.A. It's like, from a actor's standpoint or filmmaker's standpoint, like, how long could you see, like, like, what is, like, like, the more realistic outcome of being in L.A.? It's like, how do you, like... Could you see yourself being in L.A. for like more than a year or could you see yourself being L.A. and able to actually work in L.A. as a filmmaker within the span of, say, five years? Yeah, uh, I want to die here. Um, This this is it for me. I wanted to live in L.A. even before I knew I wanted to work in film and television. Like my I remember my sister, she she took a trip out here in like the early 2000s. And when she came home, the way she described it was basically kind of like Dorothy opening the door and just seeing like the Emerald City and like color just popping because, you know, I love the weather. Um, being yeah. that it was like a movie town and I love movies as a kid, it's just like, that just seems so cool to me. And yeah, I mean, it's the second largest city in the country. Uh, and I just, I like it so much because if, even if like, let's say like, okay, I'm not a fan of movies. It's like, great, the city has so much more besides that. 
yeah. they have different pockets of neighborhoods that like if you're trying to get a different vibe you'll get that like i live right now in echo park on the border of echo park and silver lake so if you're looking for more of like a low-key hip vibe like it's totally for you if you want like uh, a beach vibe there's venice beach there's a uh, santa monica there's like so many if you want like a city vibe which i don't know why you would go here uh <laughs> you got downtown uh which there are parts of downtown that are nice it's not all skeevy and sketchy but like there's so much different types of neighborhoods and vibes that you can't pinpoint one thing and when people do say like oh la is just one thing it's like you definitely not live there and you don't know it that well Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's like the same thing with New Yorkers. Like when people go, like, "Oh, I want to be like the, a New York actor." We're like, "Well, do you mean uh, TV? Do you mean Broadway? Do you mean uh, right. just theater in general?" It's like, and 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 again, the New York uh, acting scene is like split up into different parts. There's like again, television, radio, voiceover work, uh, theater, especially. Uh, and then there's like the short films that you probably will be on part of uh, mm -hmm. else. But yeah, uh, now and I've seen your like photos in LA and LA does seem like a very, uh, very uh, beautiful place to be a part of, especially if you're like dead set into just like living there, like regardless. Mm -hmm. But from your... Uh, now, and you just mentioned that you tried to get into the, like, the set of um, liquor, uh, Licorice? Uh, Lic licorice Pizza, yeah. Yeah, Licorice Pizza. Now, were there other opportunities where it's just, like, because it's easy, like, with L.A., I imagine, like, like L.A. being, like, almost, like, very easy to get onto a movie set because it's, like, mm -hmm. it's out. Yeah. It's out. Um, on, um, in... I was about to say in Manhattan, but New York is like hard to get into a movie set because it's mm -hmm. like because it's more you know restricted. Right, it's restricted. There's not a lot of it going on, and and even then, it's like uh, you might see oh filming here, but then there will be like all these other like you know production trucks, all that stuff, and then they're probably mm -hmm. on a block at, or yeah. maybe they're just filming at another time. But in terms of LA, especially with the opportunities, like what have you seen? like film wise opportunity wise because i know because i'm going to ask you in a couple of seconds about your uh script mm -hmm. that i've seen like you shop around not only from uh, script festivals but also just like promoting in general yeah. but from opportunities you know opportunity wise like how many sets could you actually just see yourself just being like almost like like i wouldn't say just like casually just walking on but like saying oh yeah you know i'm just like here to deliver the pizza or here to deliver the water that's sort of thing so like hey where's then, where's craft services and then just they point you to it and just eat yeah. all the food and like okay i'm ready to work um so the thing is i feel like covid made things a lot harder because yeah. everyone was out of a job for so long that when things started opening back up everyone is going for everything if i came like a year before covid it would have been such a hard thing to get in because i always tell people this you know people are like oh it's so hard to break into the industry in any position yada 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 and i'm like once you get like your first in you're in you're set you don't have to worry anymore like my first uh job outside of brooklyn college was the vmas once mm. i did the vmas 
I was able to, I got every job after that myself. Like I did a Walmart commercial after that. That's how I met the people from Chopped. Through the VMAs, I did stuff with Comedy Central. I did stuff on VH1, Love and Hip Hop, all because of just one job. So once you have that in, you're set. Breaking in in a new city when you don't know any connections and there's a pandemic still thrashing and people need work. So they'll take anything and they're all applying at once. It's a lot harder to break into. But I still feel like if it wasn't for that, it would be very easy just to like, like, yeah, I've done this, this, this and this. The only thing is I don't have a lot of narrative work under my belt. I have like one thing. It's just more of like, okay, we don't know you though. That's the only thing. But once you once you prove yourself once and you don't fuck up, you know, you're fine. Uh, And there's just, like I said, there's a lot of opportunities around. If I was a lot more hustling to get all those opportunities, I don't feel like it would have been it would have been hard. Also, you know, when you're getting a thousand a week for doing nothing. You have a hard time being like, should I potentially lose that whole thing just to work one day on something for two fifty? You know? Yeah. Uh, now speaking of COVID, uh, what has your experience been with productions that have to deal with COVID-related uh, productions, especially if it's a? Have you seen scripts or people who wrote scripts that have essentially adjusted to COVID and not like adjusted to COVID where it's just like, oh, these people are wearing, you know, John A is wearing a mask over his face mm-hmm. while, while Sam B is wearing a mask over his face, you know, wholeheartedly or something. Mm-hmm. Have you seen productions that are more because, as I said before, previously, there are productions that I've seen, especially on TV, uh, like on, you know, daytime on daytime. Uh, some of the soap operas I've seen, a lot of these people have been like very like further apart compared mm-hmm. to like yeah. previously. Uh, you know, one person might be filmed over here, while another person's filmed over here, and the camera makes it look like they're kind of like close together. But in uh, right. like, but in long shots, they're very they're further apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the same thing I saw in in oddly enough very CBS shows where there's a lot of CBS shows that have like this very further apartness thing compared to say abc fox shows cw shows where it's just like they they have like the more people more closer together now in terms of that production thing what have you seen that actually that yeah what have you seen especially in la in terms of not only oh yeah you've seen you know uh people wearing their mask and or what have you mm-hmm. you know visors or yeah, the Pfizer, the, the not Pfizer, the, the visors. Yeah, the visors as well yeah. as the mask. Uh, yeah, in, in terms of that, like, have is like, have you seen that more? Like, yeah, have you seen that a lot, or is mm-hmm. it like, especially going forward and and doing so is like script wise? What have you seen, especially as a filmmaker? Is like, have you seen scripts that are kind of like adjacent to it, is where it's just like, oh, you know. A lot of this stuff does seem a little more dialed down compared to stuff I've actually seen or written in the mm-hmm. past. It's like it's more. Right. Well, I think it's different when you're from production to production, especially company to company. You know, some companies are reckless where others aren't. Uh, a show I worked on that I'm not going to name. Uh, they continued shooting after during the pandemic and a bunch of people got COVID and they weren't taking precautions exactly, and they still kept going. So, but then, you know, uh, once again, bring it back to Licorice Pizza, which I saw the movie, by the way. It's amazing. Go see it. 
you know, the whole, when I watched it, I was like, holy shit, I forgot that they shot this entire thing during the heart of the pandemic. No yeah. vaccines yet, and they still did it. Like, you know, the entire uh, crew had masks on. Paul Thomas Anderson was wearing a mask. His camera team, all the PAs, all the gaffers. The only people that didn't have masks was the actors when they were shooting. But, you know, they followed the protocols because, you know, I would imagine someone like him, you know, in his 50s and the people he worked with, they're taking this seriously. Like, I heard interviews with, like, him, Cooper Hoffman, Alana Haim, that when they were shooting, they could not interact with anyone outside of the production. They basically yeah. had their own bubble. And once the movie ended, then they can go back. But I've also worked on some stuff where it's like, you know, two to three days before we shoot, you have to get a COVID test. You have to wear this mask. We had COVID compliance officers, like wiping stuff down, checking everyone's temperature and whatnot. So I think, you know, you'll deal with some productions that take this thing seriously and some that are just like, screw this it's a hurdle that we just need to get past and just get this thing on the road rolling which you know doesn't really have good uh end results but you know we're in a different stage now thankfully because of vaccines so more stuff can open up and uh have safer productions i think what i've been seeing so far i'm actually very happy to see you know i'd rather work on a set where they're taking it seriously yeah. You know, we don't have someone like Tom Cruise screaming at us, being like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, you're going to shut this down. Which, honestly, he was 100% right by that, you know. Oh, we, we, we're trying not to say that Tom Cruise is the next scene, but he is, like, right in that sort of... Well, Tom Cruise not only was his production, uh, the main producer for his, you know, production... Uh, uh, production company but he's also like the main star he's mm -hmm. the, yeah he's essentially the, the guy who's essentially you know the the glue that that holds right the, yeah that whole then, series yeah and then if you you know if you're doing a thing and then these two people are like literally right right by each other like not taking it as very seriously you would lose your shit if you know it was like you know it's and that's another thing is like if you're working on production no matter like the production, even if if you're working on a s small theater production, you could every get every minute is dollars. Yeah, every yeah. minute is money. People could get sick because they're close to each other, and that shit will spread like wildfire. Now, uh, uh, have you now with the vaccine rollout, especially with the vaccine mandate, uh, have you seen people who are because there are uh, shows currently that are being you know either well both shows but also movies that are kind of like very uh you know very, very adamant on getting all that stuff down mm -hmm. uh like there's been people who literally walked out of shows or movies that, because they don't believe in that vaccine mandate or they just right. don't the vaccine mandate yeah. from, from your experience both as a filmmaker producer what have you well just say well i'll just say filmmaker because filmmaker because director producers anyway but mm. as a filmmaker like what is your ex not only what is your opinion on essentially actors who are just walking out because of a paycheck compared to say you know of everything else you know it's like you're you know actors are essentially losing their paycheck because not only are they not getting a uh an easy, you know, one shot at everything. So yeah, it's it, and two is protecting you from a, a very dangerous virus because yeah, because not only is it just one virus. I mean, it's like 
now it's, you know, there's a multitude of the same virus now. So, you know, and also it's still, you know, one of those things, but from your experience and as a filmmaker, what is your opinion on people who just won't take their shots and just leave the production, especially because yeah, leave production. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, everyone has the right to their own opinion or whatnot. I personally believe that, you know, you're not just protecting yourself. You're also protecting other people that may be susceptible to getting really sick from this thing. Uh, like I have a couple, I've had like a family member that died of it from the beginning. But I mean, like, so not only are you losing that job opportunity, whatever, you're also kind of tainting your re- your reputation. Like, you know, that's yeah. going to stick with you. People are going to remember, oh, yeah, that's the anti-vax person. I don't want them on my set because then God knows what else you're like, you know. Uh, I don't know of anyone that's an anti-vax person that doesn't have any other problems that people complain about. Uh yeah, I mean, like, you know, it sets the productions back. I had a friend that just shot a feature in Michigan, and uh, I think one of their actors they were supposed to have was anti-vax. and like, hey, we can't have you on set. Everyone needs to be vaccinated. And so then that had to cause them to go and find someone else, which eventually they did. But, like, it's funny. People that are not really for the vaccine are also the same people that are like, we're tired of this shit. We want to go back to normal. And it's like, you have the opportunity now. And you're not doing it. So like, yeah. what the fuck do you want? Yeah, I, I like, imagine. And then there are cases like, you know, uh, you know, I just mentioned this on um, my side. Po- well, I wouldn't say side podcast, but my spinoff podcast, Downstairs mm-hmm. in Hayden. And we were just talking about how Emilio Estevez had COVID during the production of the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. And then he is. And, and then the producers were just like, oh, yeah, you, you're perfectly fine. And, you know, you have immunity and all that stuff. And I, I just imagine someone who had COVID in the past who gunned the vaccine and then feels better from all that, at least feels better in terms of working again. And then finding people who are just won't take the vaccine because of just stupidity or just the fact that, you know, they're wasted. And here's the thing, too, is like they waste everyone's time, especially with the productions. But, you know, there are movies that should have been released now, but have been delayed because of not only that, but also just delayed because of COVID uh, related right. film release dates, you know. And then and then there are films that are being filmed right now who are, you know, and then you just hear about the same stuff like happening again, too, where it's just like, yeah. it's an easy fix and, and all that stuff. And it's definitely one of those things where it's just like, I imagine being a filmmaker now is a lot more stressful than it was. Yeah. A lot more stressful. And, but at the same time, you're just like, I'll be glad to get my work done and work out. But at the same time, Lord, just give me the strength to find the perfect crew that won't make me go as stressful as anything else. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, also if you ask me, who the fuck asked for a Mighty Ducks reboot? They should have just ended it when Amelia was like, hey, I'm not coming back. Like, okay, end the show. But apparently they're still going because all the Mighty Ducks fans out there just need more. Well, it's the Disney's version of uh, Cobra Kai, so, you know. it's Yeah, but nothing's going to touch Cobra Kai. That shit is so good. Like, I got my godmother onto Cobra Kai. I'm like, yo, you need to watch this. And she's like, oh, my God, I already finished season three. It's like, yeah. I, if you went to someone who is much older and said to them, 
watch Mighty Ducks, like, what the fuck is that? Think it's like an animated thing about ducks. I mean, and there were, and there was an animated series called Mighty Ducks uh, back in the '90s that was about mm-hmm. the uh, that were I wouldn't say about the Anaheim Ducks, but they were based off of the Anaheim uh, Ducks. So yeah, yeah. So again, that just shows how old I am. Uh, anyway, now as I mentioned before, you actually wrote a script, mm-hmm. and that the script has been getting shopped around into script film festivals. Not only has it one i think maybe four or five or it's one yeah it's one four. Oh, well four okay i was off by, off by, <laughs> I, I got the uh, right number but i always have to add that little extra number just to be on the yeah. safe side right <laughs> yeah at, le- at least you didn't go at least you didn't go under at least you went up yeah <laughs> and because i just remember you because I, I remember you posting a picture of like how many film festivals it was or or screenwriting festivals it was but mm-hmm. yeah Tell me the process of writing a script. Uh, not only that, it's also a slasher movie or horror movie script, and getting it like, like legitimately, like, like legitimately into screen screenwriting festivals that are being, that yeah, we want to work with this per, with this person and actually deal with it and actually produce this stuff. Yeah. So, one, what was your idea to actually write a horror script? And how did you get into the screenwriting uh, festivals? Okay. So to rewind a little bit, um, we're going to go back to September of 2020. Yeah. So it's been a month since I moved out here. I'm going to pick up a friend. We're going to go get some like tacos, hang out and whatnot. It's like rush hour, 6 p.m. I'm a block away from his house. And this dude rear-ends me at 60 miles an hour. And then I go flying into two cars in front of me and then head on with a Range Rover. It was a bad accident. My car got totaled, my pelvis was fractured, and my lung was punctured from the airbag. I still have, like, a little scar on my arm from the airbag. So I can't walk, uh, and I have no car, and it's the heat of the pandemic. So I'm just watching a bunch of movies, and I've been writing. Between September and April, I wrote six feature screenplays. And I wrote a spy parody one. So after that, I was like, okay, what's going to be the next, uh, it's going to be my next script that I'm going to write. Because it was just helping me, like, pass through time and just keep my mind busy. And yeah. my friend was like, hey, you, kn- you know all the Friday 13th movies are on Stars, the app. And he knows I love them. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to watch all of them in one day because I'm a fucking psycho. So by the time I get to Friday 13th Part 2, I'm just, like, thinking of, like, gags. And I just start writing up jokes, like uh, set pieces and whatnot. And uh, within, like, I think a week, I went from writing little jokes to an outline to a first draft. Hmm. And I shared it with a bunch of my friends. They gave me feedback, went back, did another draft. Again, they gave me feedback. I submitted it to uh, screenwriting coverage websites where they gave me a score. They said what they liked. They said what they didn't like. Did another draft, gave it to friends. We did a table read with everyone. Eventually, we got to, I got to a place where I felt like confident with it. I'm like, okay, it's at the page count I want it to be. It's good. I'm happy with it. So I started to send it out. So it's a horror comedy. It's basically, it's Friday the 13th meets Wet Hot American Summer. Oh, nice. It's called, it's called Nightmare at Camp Bloodbath. Um, and how I knew that I'm like, okay, this is something special. So I won an award at a festival called Holly- International Hollywood Hotel. I was with my friend doing a road trip in Northern California. I got this email saying, congratulations, you won. 
I was like, holy shit, because this was like the first one that actually won. My spy parody placed as like a semi-finalist and a quarter-finalist, but nothing had won anything yet. So that was like a big deal. Two days later, I got a message from someone on Instagram saying, hey, I've read your screenplay for a festival. Are you the same guy that wrote this? I'm like, yes. He's like, I pushed it to go to the next round. This is the funniest thing I've ever read. I laughed out loud 17 times. Please make this movie. And I was just like, okay, so it's not just me and my friends that think this thing is actually funny and has potential. It's strangers that I don't know. So that prompted me to put it into more festivals, which uh, as of right now, it has 10 official selections, including four wins, three finalists, two semifinalists, and one quarterfinalist. Nice. So, yeah, I, I of all the scripts that I wrote, I did not expect this is the one that was going to win the most and place the most. Now, you mentioned Friday the 13th. Now, what about the Friday the 13th series uh, attached you most about to say, hey, this is the type of film I want to make into, say, a Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street type of film where it's just like, because the the nightmare the you know the nightmare Elm Street films are very outlandish uh, mm-hmm. to say at least yeah uh, uh, Halloween is very grounded but still outlandish at the same time but the Friday Thirteenth is sort of like where it's where it's like you get the sensation of watching a a, a zombie ish character or a guy who really cannot die or a cyborg or what have you is he a dead eye anyway mm-hmm. I'm getting I'm getting into a whole slew of ways. Ah, that's that's uh, Jason. Uh, Jason goes to hell right there. Yeah, and apparently that is Canyon. Uh, I don't. That's bullshit. I I don't <laughs> care for the movies after eight. To me, they go downhill. Uh, well, I. So my sisters, they grew up in like uh, the, they were like born in like the late seventies, early eighties. So they grew up on these movies as kids. So then when I was born, they showed me all of them. So even though I wasn't born in the 80s or lived in the 80s i still have like a a nostalgia for these movies as a kid and when i was coming up with the idea okay if you set something at a summer camp perfect less budget you don't have to worry about shooting on the streets you're in an isolated area where you have more control that's why all these camp movies in the 80s were made because they were so easy to shoot and low budget so i definitely you know friday 13th is probably my favorite horror slasher series so i definitely just took all the things I loved about it. And like, if you read the script, you know, there's so many Easter eggs from like all the movies, one part one to part eight. And then just taking all the humor and like type of comedy you would see in like Naked Gun, Airplane, uh, Wet Hot American Summer. One of my friends said he got a Mel Brooks vibe just thrown into there. Cause I'm a huge fan of like, parody movies so i was telling my friend i'm like i miss them that they don't oh, yeah. get made anymore because they're also the last ones in the last couple of years suck like they just don't have the same charm that like the zazz movies used to have well yeah because uh the zazz movies actually had you know heart and charm to it and not only that they had jokes that were supremely funny jokes that you wouldn't notice as a kid compared to now because like right because right, i was just watching uh adam's family values a few nights ago and th- there was a line that 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 made me go wow i never even noticed that as a kid that compared to now where it's just like and then there's like lines that are kind of like very fun it's like those lines where it goes like 
I'm like, how is it that I'm not noticing all this stuff now? I mean, I mean, how is it that I'm always not noticing this stuff as a, how is, yeah, how is it that I'm always noticing this stuff now compared to, you know, before? Right, exactly. So there, like, those movies have jokes that have, jo- those jokes have jokes within it, with them. Ex- with yeah, them. there's jokes within jokes, totally. And the thing about, like, the guys that made, like, date movie, epic movie, disaster movie, made the Spartans, like, those are the ones that I 100% think killed the genre. Oh, yeah. But the thing about those movies is their jokes are very much dated. Like, they make jokes about references, about what's big in pop culture in, like, 2006, 2008. You show that to someone in 2021, they're like, I don't know what the fuck that is. So when I was writing this script, I'm like, okay, I watched Airplane, I watched Naked Gun, I'm like, these things have jokes that still work today because they're not tied to the time period. They're just something that people find slapstick funny in 79, you'll still find funny in 2021. Like, so that was very much important when I was writing the script. There's a great movie, a horror comedy called The Final Girls that actually does something similar to that, where it's just mm-hmm. like, it does deal with the like the, the, the self-awareness of a slasher movie, mm-hmm. and then it deals with a Jason-like killer, and then yeah. it's like and stuff like that too. But it doesn't really take itself too seriously because, it, you know, it does take itself seriously, but it doesn't take itself way too seriously. Right. It's just like... You know, oh, here's this scene where, you know, um, uh, like some 80s pop store comes randomly into the scene because, you know, it's it's the 80s. So, you know, it's yeah. like everything, you know, it doesn't t- it doesn't do that. You know, it like it has that very notion of humor at the same time. It's not like scream humor where it's just like it's it's where it's notion of uh, what's we call it the notion of self-awareness but at the same time mm-hmm. it's humor where it's just like oh i know that reference it's like it's kind of like poking fun at the genre we're out really poking fun at the genre right yeah uh, you also mentioned uh wet hot american summer obviously set in the summer camp you know it mm-hmm. has the summer camp vibe what about it struck you as a way to say okay i have friday the 13th in my mind because i love this series but why graduate towards Wet Hot American Summer, aside from the the, the summer camp aesthetic, mm-hmm. of campers, uh, asshole, uh, counselors, that sort of thing. Yeah. No. Well, Wet Hot American Summer is like one of my favorite comedies of all time. I remember seeing it when I was like, I think seven or eight and just dying of laughter. And I can still watch it, knowing everything that's going to happen, all the jokes. And I'm still laughing at it. Like, there is one character in my script that is basically uh, Ken Marino's character, which is, like, the counselor that's just trying to sleep with the hot girl. He, like, abandons the kids so just so he can get there. So I flipped the switch. So now this character in my script is, like, the bitchy girl, but she's super horny and just wants to sleep with, like, the head camp counselor, and that's the only thing that's on her mind. <laughs> ah, okay. And... Yeah. Uh, now, in terms of running a horror script, mm-hmm. you have to think of okay, how does this person get killed off? Was it oh, e- yeah. was it easy for you to say okay, okay, character A gets killed with a you know bedpost? You know they get mm-hmm. tossed into a uh, bed frame. The bed frame falls off, lips into the bedpost. Boom! There you go. Right now, 
when it came to like killing off characters, was it very easy for you to say, okay, I know how to kill this character off. I know how to kill this character off. Or, or was it very hard to remember to figure, okay, not only am I writing a kind of a very comedic way, mm-hmm. a, a very comedic film, how how am I going to balance both the horror and the comedy? Is it got to be at the same time? Is it just got to be balanced as a boat when someone gets killed is very horrific and there's no laughs or, or will there be moments where it's just like, okay, this character is an asshole. They're going to die in a very funny way. Well, each character, it was like, okay, not only do you have to kill them, it has to be funny. So I was thinking of ways. I'm like, okay, I was like thinking of all the kills that happens in Friday the 13th. And for people that have seen Friday the 13th Part 2, there's a character, I forgot his name. He's in a wheelchair. Mark. He, Mark. He gets killed by a machete is stabbed into his head, and then he's just going down the stairs in yeah. the chair backwards, which is, I don't think they were intentionally trying to be funny, but it's pretty fucking hilarious. So it's trying to have that good balance. And, you know, there's definitely some characters where it's like, okay, you want to see that character die, where... There's perfect comedic time, but there's also characters that you like that you don't expect to die that get killed, and it's just like perfect. I also try to do stuff that, like you've never seen before. So there's one scene where a character basically will just get grabbed from the back and ripped down in half like a stack of construction paper. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I've never seen that in a horror movie, so that will be great to see. So definitely put that in there. But there's also characters that, like, don't get killed by the killer. It's just, like, freak accidents. Then it's yeah. just like, okay, that's perfect comedic timing right there. Yeah, the way you kind of, like, uh, remind it, it does sound like the, the kills have the very, very hatchet-like uh, like kills. But also there's yeah. also tail and, Ducker, uh, t- tail and Tucker versus Evil type of kills where a lot of these characters in that movie get killed by accident, you know, accidentally. Right, so, totally. Some kid, some kid accidentally trips and goes right into a um a wood uh, chipper, yeah, a wood chipper, or they fall down and in, into a uh, pit of spikes by accident, or yeah. you know, one kid just gets blown up by accident. I'm like, you know, because of their own stupidity. But then there are kills that I'm like hearing you is like, oh, one kill has someone getting ripped up like folding paper. I'm like, that kind of feels like something I would just see Victor Crowley do because right, yeah. it's like it's Kane Howard, and you know, like how totally. do you? How do you do? How do you uh, try to one up the kill like that? Well, we'll just see. Um, but yeah, it actually does sound like a very fun film to watch because you know, and, and this is and and the last film that I felt like amazing was James Wan's Mal- *Malignant*. Oh, *Malignant* was amazing. Yeah, that, yeah, that was hilarious. I was dying of laughter in the theater. Yeah, and and a lot of horror movies I've seen for the past few years have been very I wouldn't say hit and miss, but they're very, very more grounded towards the more uh, downer type of thing, mm-hmm. downer type of vibe, or it's just like it's 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 bleak. Yeah, it's bleak, but I also think a lot of them don't really, like, there's no sense of fun anymore, or like tongue-in-cheek, whereas I think Malignant was like, yeah, we know what we are. Yeah, uh, like Halloween Kills, I love Halloween Kills, but, you know, watching it over for like the second third time i'm like man i would love to see this movie a little bit more uh a chipper you know but i Mm -hmm. understand i understand it's michael myers michael myers is not a very chipper type of uh character to to, uh interact with so you have to be yeah (laughs) but then and then then you watch something like malignant where it's just like oh this this character um 
uh, I can't really. Oh my god! You know this this character is in the police station, and they're killing off killing off police officers, and at the and at the end, throws a friggin' chair against uh, some person. That was so like I lost it at that because that was so unnecessary. The fucking chair thing, I just like bursted out into laughter. I was like, holy! I'm like, hang on, I gotta rewind that back. Let me rewind that back. And then it's like. I will admit there's like there's a lot more horror films now that are leaning towards the bleakness of a, like a horror movie compared to where it's just like they are not necessarily having fun. It's like and if you do watch the fun horror movies, they're always the independent movies. Yeah. Compared to like more mainstream movies, there's like more mainstream you know, lean towards the bleakness compared yeah, to like they want the, something like the conjuring or insidious. Yeah. Where it's like if you watch something like very independent movies not only do they lean towards a very bleakness, but they also have fun with it because it's a small budget, it's a small thing, you know, it's like... Right. You know, uh, but yeah, I could talk about horror movies all day long. And I don't want oh, to... Oh, yeah, same. I, yeah. I, don't want take, I don't want to take more of this uh, time. It's like, we're already past an hour here, so, you know. Yeah. And, but yeah, uh, uh, Nightmare... Uh, what was a Nightmare? Nightmare at Camp Bloodbath. Because or- originally the title was A Lawn Night at Camp Bloodbath because the original working title for Friday the 13th yeah. was Lawn Night at Camp Blood. And then a friend of mine was like, you should name it Nightmare at Camp Bloodbath because it will just roll off the tongue faster. I'm like, yeah, that does sound better. And also then it's paying a little homage to Nightmare on Elm Street. So I'm like, perfect. Hmm, nice. Now, if this does actually get into production, right, within mm-hmm. the next like year or so, uh like could you see like like could you like from a filmmaker standpoint like could you see trying to like reach out to a uh I w- well a Kane hire Derek Mears type where it's just like you need a person who is a stuntman to play this killer uh killer or do you see or do you see like an actor who has a background in like say like mine like mine that sort of thing to where you need to have an actor in the mass to be more mindful about mm-hmm. <laughs> right uh yeah do you need like like with this killer uh, of course i don't know that much anything about the killer because i haven't read the script obviously mm-hmm. but from what you're talking about do you see the killer being portrayed by a stuntman or a um uh kane Haller, Derek mears type or do you see the uh, killer being portrayed by an actor in a mask, like a, a screen type of character, where it's just like, you know, it's a killer in a mask. So you need mm-hmm, to have. Yeah, like, definitely. Uh, well, I'm glad you asked that. That's an important question because I did want to talk about that, but without just jumping into it. So when yeah. I was writing the character of the killer, um, one thing that I've noticed in a lot of like independent horror movies is like, uh, so the killer is just the killer in a mask, and that's it. And I wanted to do something different. I'm like, I want this character to have a personality. Like, you can understand what the character is feeling, what the character is thinking. You'll be able to laugh with the character. You'll be able to laugh at the character while watching it. But the character has zero lines. So the way the design is, he's going to have, like, a a pillowcase, a sack over his head. He's he's basically, he's a lumberjack. He's basically the brawny man with a mask on. So, sack, rolled up, uh, uh, flannel suspenders with a beanie over it with eyes eyes cut out 
so you can see his eyes perfectly. So there's moments where he's like huffing and puffing or where he's annoyed or where he's upset. There's moments where there's a scene where the character is crying through the mask, but still chasing people. So it's very important that the performer that is behind the mask playing the character gives a very physical performance, kind of like how, you know, you can understand what Lon Chaney Sr. is feeling when he plays the Phantom of the Opera without giving any dialogue. So for me, it was very important that I don't want just someone dressed in a mask walking or running. I want them to have a full personality because they're going to interact with the other characters and there's going to be moments of comedy with it as well. So for me, uh, I don't know if it's going to be a stunt person or an or an actor, as long as it's someone that can like fully emote and give a full flesh personality without any dialogue, that's the most important part. Nice. Uh, and I, I forgot, the, 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 uh, some of the uh, horror movies, and if, uh, just to finish up, I thought before, some of the horror movies this year that weren't released, like say, in theaters, mm-hmm. but on like streaming services, have been very, 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 very playful. And it's like Fear, this Fear Street trilogy on Netflix yeah. was amazing mm-hmm. because not only did they get the humor of of R.L. Stein book, mind you, right? And R.L. Stein is not a person you would think would be like able to write a, a heart like a full thread horror series. He has like a, a tons of, of those books, yeah. but the Fear Street series, uh, Fear, not Fear Street series was one of those type of things, especially if you're growing up the goosebumps as I did and then running and then reading the, the fear street thing is like, it's like a total tone shift. Right. But yeah. The fear street trilogy was amazing to watch because not only did it have the sense of, Oh, uh, this movie is set in the nineties. This movie set in the seventies. And then this movie set in the 1600. Yeah. 1600. Mm-hmm. One, I'm not sure how, like there's no movie. Set, there's no like cinema that we know of. That was set in that was filming sick in the 1600s so it's like it's a little hard to, to figure out how we're going to do a movie like that but right seeing how they did it it's like it's amazing to watch because they do take the time in doing all that but yeah that, that was just to finish off my original thought that like there's james wong's malignant and then there's the fear street uh trilogy on netflix so mm-hmm. that, that basically have fun with the idea of running with a good old horror movie and then having like literally everything else right one thing i will say though about the fear street movies especially the first two they just fucking shove music down your throat they're like hey look it's the 90s it's the 70s like i counted there's 13 or 14 needle drops within like the first 20 minutes of the first fear street it's like holy shit chill i get it it's the 90s it's like I, I, you know, I imagine, and then there would be like very out of place songs, like, like I imagine like a more, hu- yeah, more human than human. I'm like, was that in like '94, '93? I'm like, I don't yeah. remember. Oh yeah, there's like, yeah, there's one song that's like came out in '96, but it's like playing in it. Like, there's three songs in less than one minute. Three in less than one minute. That's overkill as shit. Yeah, I remember I don't watching. Know thought this I, is okay. I remember watching James Jason Yeast's kill count of that, and I just remember him just going, oh. and then and then he's just commenting on the fact that is like, how many more did like, yeah, like, oh no, yeah, exactly. I'm like, when I was watching the Dead Meat kill count, I'm like, I swear to God, he better talk about the fucking needle drops, and he did. I'm like, okay, I kept making uh, jokes with my friends, like, what are the needle drops going to be in the 1600s one? Is it just going to be Johann Sebastian Bach or some shit? <laughs> I actually joked about that to my uh, friends. I was like, where's my Bach? 
Yeah. Thankfully, <laughs> it was just score. Yeah, thankfully, yeah. But I would, you know, it's again the 1600s, so it's like, how do you uh, translate the 1600s to film? And it's like, it's yeah. Not. But yeah, Dylan. Again, we're we're kind of like speaking like past the the amount of time that I usually do. But thank you for being a, a podcast uh, a, on the podcast today. Well, thank uh, you for having me. Uh, oh, to those who do want to follow you, what's your social media use? Uh, okay, so I'll give my Instagram. Uh, let me just open it up. It <laughs> is if you want to follow me on Instagram. My name is. Back to Dylan, back underscore to underscore Dylan. Uh, yeah, I don't really use Facebook, so you don't need to follow me on Facebook. And plus, also, if you wanted to, you can message me on Instagram, and I'll give you all that other stuff, like my LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. yeah. And to those who actually are going into into filmmaking and whatnot, especially especially now, what type of advice do you have? Get into a car accident and make sure you can't walk, so then you just write, like, four scripts. <laughs> no honestly i mean like if you're if you're truly passionate about it you need to have the passion and the drive everything else will come over time but without the passion and the drive you won't even get like your foot in the door i think those two are very important obviously a yeah, talent is important but you could be talented and never get that opportunity because you didn't push yourself. You didn't have that drive or the passion to keep going. Like you're gonna hit moments where you will get knocked down. I got like when I got my first rejection from a from a screenplay competition. Not a shame to say this. I started crying because I was upset. But then yeah. the next day I got uh, congratulations. Your script was a semifinalist, and that felt great. And after getting so many rejections, that now they just bounce off me like I'm like fucking Superman because it's just like I've had so many. But I've also had a lot of acceptance. So, you know, it helps balance it out. But it's not going to, I'm not going to have one rejection. I had like three in one day. Stop me from keep going. So definitely passion and drive is a big deal. Hmm. And with that, thank you, Dylan, for being a guest. And take care, everyone. And please be safe and be well.